driving home in your car. Thoughts wonder about the day you've just had and what tomorrow will be like. When suddenly a sound like no other sound you've ever heard fills the air. The sound is high above you, a trumpet, a choir, a choir of trumpets. You don't know, but you want to know. So you pull over, get out of your car and look up. And what you see, you realize you're not the only curious one. The roadside has become a parking lot. Car doors are open, people are staring at the sky, and what you see and what they see has never been seen before. It's as if the sky were a curtain, drapes of the atmosphere apart. A brilliant light spills out into the earth. No shadow, not a one. The light begins to tumble a river of color of every hue you've ever seen. Riding on the flow is an endless fleet of angels. They pass through the curtain hundreds at a time and fill every square inch of the sky. You hear them sing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. You hear your voice begin to join the chorus. You don't know what to say or why, but you know you want to. And all of a sudden, the angels turn. You turn. The entire world turns, and there he is, Jesus. Through waves of light, you see the silhouetted figure of Christ the King. He's on top of a great stallion and the stallion on top of the largest clouds you've ever seen. He opened his mouth and you're surrounded by his declaration, I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. The angels bow their head and before you as a figure so consuming, you know, instantly you know, nothing else matters. All that mattered matters no more for Christ has come. Jesus said he would come back. The angels at his ascension said he would come back. You heard in church that he would come back. And now you know the promise was true. Christ has returned. On the day he comes in glory to reveal the fullness of his Father, of all the verses that have all been said over the last 2,000 years about this day, we'll never be able to capsulize it perfectly in one message, but clearly help us to hear from you. 
and know and understand we're looking forward to one of the greatest days in all of humanity. We just celebrated the greatest story ever told, but there is one more part of the story that we really want to be able to tell well this morning. So allow us to be able to do it with confidence, clarity, and power. In Jesus' name, amen. Maybe seated. Holds a little bit on the timing on that, right? Sorry about that. <laughs> Obviously, that was intentional. I want to ask you an honest question. When I was reading, and you were thinking, and then you began to picture in your mind what it may look like, and you even saw a couple of images on the screen of what it could possibly look like, what thoughts run through your mind? Fear? Awe? Excitement? questions. Things like, I finally get to see Jesus. In my case, I've been looking forward to it for a little over 50 years, and I've been preaching about it for almost 40. And I've tried to envision in my mind what he looks like, and I've seen all kinds of portraits and all kinds of pictures and all kinds of images run through my head, but when I began to really think about that day, I realized I finally get to see exactly what he looks like. Maybe for you, there are a lot of other thoughts that run through your mind. Thoughts like, maybe I get to see my dad again. Or my grandma. Or that little girl. I get to see my pap. I love that man. My mother brought me a picture the other day of his 1949 softball team. And I knew exactly which one he was. And I haven't seen him since 1973. And near the end of his life, my father had the opportunity to lead him to Christ. And he's the one that I made sure my kids clearly understand that I want to live in his image. And I want to be called Pap like he was to us. And now, finally, I get to see him again. And I tell you, I'm really excited. You ever wonder what Peter looked like? You ever wonder what Abraham looked like? You ever wonder who you're going to want to see first? A family member outside of Jesus, who would you want to see first? One of the Old Testament prophets, Peter, Abraham, who would it be? Excitement, anticipation. For some of you, there may be just a, a hint of disappointment. Your first time mom-to-be. And all of a sudden you realize that what we're singing about and what we're talking about is true and you'll never really get to hold that little one in your hands. And so for that moment when you begin to think about it, especially near the end, you wanted just that moment. You're excited about the coming, but you wanted that moment. Maybe you just got engaged. And Meg, believe it or not, I had this written before I knew last night you got engaged. And now all of a sudden you're waiting for that day when you walk down the aisle. And Mike, it's a long walk, brother. And you get the opportunity to see that dream come true. And you know beyond the shadow of a doubt that he's the guy you've always wanted to spend the rest of your life with. And you know beyond the shadow of a doubt that she's the gal that you want to spend the rest of your life with. And all the plans are made and it's only a couple of weeks out. And all of a sudden you realize and recognize we're not going to get to that moment. I want to see Jesus. But I didn't know it was going to come so soon. Maybe you're just this close to retirement. 
you got all kinds of plans and all kinds of things you want to do and all kinds of places you want to see. And I understand what Scripture says about what I'll be able to do when the second coming comes, but I'm not sure. And so there's some things that I kind of wanted to do, especially say goodbye to the place that I've worked at for the last whatever amount of years. Maybe for some of us, we feel a little uneasy or uncomfortable. You've been told in scriptures and in sermons that secrets will be made known. Books will be opened. Names will be read. You know that God is holy and you're not. And the thought of seeing him face to face makes you just a little bit uncomfortable. And what about all those end time stories that I've heard about in the movies that I've seen? He's going to come back. We've got to, what do we do with the Antichrist and the Mark of the Beast and the Battle of Armageddon? I've watched a lot of movies. There are a lot of things that have to take place, right? When's all that going to happen? What is it going to look like? And all of those questions that run through our mind and just for a moment, if indeed that's the rapture that we're depicting this morning and those of us who know Christ are going to be with him and then all these things are going to begin to unfold, what's it going to be like? Peter tells us the whole world's going to get burned up and God will create everything all over again. What's that going to be? And then maybe a little fear creeps in. There are a lot of emotions that Jesus wanted us to feel. Excitement, anticipation, the joy of being able to see him face to face. There's a lot of emotions that you'll feel physically, especially for those of us who are getting older. I get a brand new body. It's going to be perfect. No deterioration, no aches and pains. I said to my wife all the time when I work so hard on Saturday or Monday, whatever the day may be, I, I feel like the Tin Man in The Wizard of Oz. If somebody just squirted oil on some of those body parts of mine, they would work better. I, I look like Grandpa from The Real McCoy, which only five of you in this whole room even, even know who that is. <laughs> and you limp around and you wonder, what is it going to be like when I get a brand new body? It's going to be perfect. It's going to be whole. No more pains. No more aches. No more sorrows. No more death. I've done 225 or 30 weddings and probably between 400 and 500 funerals. And the longer I'm in ministry, especially the longer I stay at a given location, the more I'm looking forward to Revelation 21, which is one of the sections that I always read when he says, when it's all said and done and I come back, there'll be no more death, no more crying, no more tears, and no more pain. And the longer I'm in ministry and the longer I do funerals and the longer I'm in one given location like this one, the more I want that day to come true. Just to be honest with you, I get tired of saying goodbye to friends. Jesus wanted us to feel trust. He wanted us to feel excited. He told the disciples near the end of his ministry in that section of Scripture that we alluded to last Sunday morning out of the Gospel of John when he recognized the fear all over their faces even though they had no idea what the next few days or few hours were going to hold. Look, I'm just telling you, don't worry. I'm leaving. I've been telling you that for three years. I'm going to prepare a place for you. Depending on your translation and your own theology, i got a mansion over the hilltop. Some of you have all been singing forever because you like the King James. Others of us who read the NIV that says he's got a room. I like the mansion part better. I'm okay with the room. It's heaven. And, and I'm going to come back, he said. I'm going to bring you to myself. I, I will return, I promise you, and I'll take you there and Thomas said, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How do we know the way? And I 
often wondered if he thought to himself, I've been telling you where I'm going and the way for three years. But let me tell you again, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to God but by me. But I will come back, and I'll take you home. I'm sure there's a lot of other emotions that come to mind when we think about the second coming of Jesus. And some of the ones that I may have not even mentioned this morning are probably running through your mind. I remember as clear as I'm standing here this morning preaching on the imminent return of Christ in my second church. And those of us who are good alliance pastors always have to answer the question about the imminent return of Christ. What does the word imminent mean? It means what? It means what? Somebody just said imminent. I just said the word. What does it mean? It means it could happen at any moment. If indeed you knew the answer to that, you can be theoretically licensed and ordained in the Christian and Missionary Alliance if you know the answer to that question, that it could happen at any moment. And we Alliance pastors, especially early in my ministry, wanted to make sure everybody knew and understood that. And so I preached a message and had a plan. The plan was this. Outside of that small little church that I was at, I had a guy standing out there with a trumpet. And the moment I got to that part, and the trumpet will sound, he was to play. Unfortunately, he didn't hear me. <laughs> so I said it again, and the trumpet will sound. The windows were all open because it was a hot summer afternoon. He stuck that trumpet through the window and let it rip as loud as he possibly could. Little boy in the front seat probably wet himself. An old man almost had a heart attack. And the guy in the back row who was sleeping really did think the rapture had come. <laughs> and to top it all off, the notes he played were awful. <laughs> Needless to say, I've never done it again. <laughs> As good alliance pastors, we always preach the imminent return of Christ. As somewhere in a series on the life of Jesus, the ministry of Jesus, the aspects of Jesus, we always want to make sure we talk about the imminent return of Christ, that it really could come at any moment. For some of us in ministry, we wish it would come in the middle of a bad sermon, but we do believe he's going to come. The founder of the Christian and Missionary Alliance, Albert Benjamin Simpson, said this, the second coming of Christ is the glorious culmination of every other part of the gospel. The truth of the Lord's coming is linked with all truth, the life, and that's the church's great hope and great blessing. He said there's a double thread running through all of ancient prophecy. It is the crimson line of the cross, but the golden thread of the coming glory. It is the rest of the story. It was first the cross and the crown. Until he comes again, the part of the prophetic scripture will be unrealized. It was necessary that he fulfill the vision of the cross. And it will be just as necessary he fulfills the vision of the king. Someone said he came the first time riding on a donkey. He'll come the second time riding on a great stallion. He came the first time in an out-of-the-way place. He'll come the second time so that every eye will see him. He came the first time a savior and the second time sovereign lord and king came the first time in meekness and obscurity. He'll come the second time in power, and every knee will bow before him. The first time he came, the door of the inn was shut so tightly that for 2,000 years we still have talked about its sound. But the second time, the door of heaven will open, and he will come as King of kings and Lord of lords. Very few knew of his first coming, but I'm telling you, the world will know of his second the New Testament scripture speaks 318 times 
about Christ's second coming. For the sake of time this morning, we're only going to deal with 314. His glorious return to earth will be visible and personal. His return to earth. Now, there's no way in one message this morning. Next Sunday, we're going to have baptism. Following Sunday into a new series. There's no way in all of that I can put the time sequences of all of that. We've been discussing it and arguing for two thousand years. Will he come before the rapture? Will he come as the rapture? Will it be part of the rapture? What about Armageddon? What about seven years and all the things that go with that? All I'm saying is beyond the shadow of a doubt, regardless of the theological implications of the timeline of all of that, Jesus Christ will return. As clear as he was about his first coming, as clear as we are about his second coming. And we know that it really could happen at any time. And as scripture tells us, Every eye will see him. You pull out anything that you don't like or don't think is true, then you've got to realize that you're going to do that with every aspect of Scripture that you don't think is true or that you don't like. Scripture said, every eye saw him. We believe we're standing here this morning. You all rose. I said to Dave, when she's done, right before I'm done, and when she starts to sing again, this audience is going to rise. And you did. Because we believe what we teach this morning, that the Jesus that was on the cross is the Jesus that we love and adore. And that same Jesus, if we believe that is true, is the same Jesus that's going to return. It's the ultimate hope of every single believer. At almost every funeral that I do of a believer, I talk about the fact that Paul tells us we don't sorrow like those who have no hope. We sorrow he just says we don't sorrow like those who have no hope because our hope is in the coming of Jesus Christ and the ability to see him face to face and know that that person who left this world is going to see Jesus and we will see them again. He is coming back and nothing will keep him from returning. The very last time Jesus was with his disciples is in Acts chapter 1. It was after his suffering that Luke, the writer, tells us, it's on your screen this morning, he presented himself to them and gave a number of convincing proofs that he was alive. Paul reiterates that in the book of Corinthians when he says he did it on numerous occasions. As a matter of fact, there was one occasion with over 500 people saw him and knew that he had risen from the dead. Not only does scripture validate that Jesus rose from the dead, the songs that we sing validate that Jesus rose from the dead. Every witness that was there that day validates the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke to them about the kingdom of God. On one particular occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, don't leave Jerusalem, wait for my gift. The Father has promised what you've heard me speak about. John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Spirit. Then they gathered around him and said, Lord, is it at this time that you're going to restore the kingdom of Israel? It's what they wanted. That's what they've been longing for. That's what they thought he came to do. He said, it's not for you to know the times or the dates that the Father has set in his own authority. You do what I told you to do in verse 7, 5, and 7. But you'll receive power when the Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And that moment when he said this, or after he said it, he was taken up right before their eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking in the sky? Same angels, <coughs> same angels possibly that could have said to the ladies that ran to the tomb that we read about last Sunday morning, what are you looking for? He's not here, he's risen. 
almost as if the same guys come back and said, what are you doing? Why are you looking into the sky? This same Jesus. What Jesus? This same Jesus. The one you've seen, the one we've serviced, the one we've worshipped, the one that rose from the dead, this same Jesus who was taken up before you into heaven will come back. He goes on to say in the same way that you've seen him go to heaven. In the Gospel of John, there's a fascinating verse. It's in chapter 20, verse 7. It talks about the disciples going to the tomb and seeing that Jesus wasn't there or the body wasn't there. There's a verse in verse 7 that talks about that napkin that was placed over Jesus' face. And one verse, one whole verse in verse 7 talks about the fact that the napkin itself was neatly folded and placed at the head. I've often wondered what that meant until I found out a a few days ago that to understand the significance of the folded napkin, you've got to understand the, the Hebrew tradition of the day. The folded napkin had to do with the master and the servant. And every single Jewish boy knew the tradition. When the servant set the table for dinner for the master, he made sure that it was exactly the way the master wanted it. The table was perfect. Everything was there as it should be. And then he waited out of sight until the master was finished eating, never to return, not to come back at all, until the master was done. Now, if the master was done eating and wasn't coming back, he would get up from the table, wipe his hands with a napkin, wad it up, and toss it onto the table. The servant knew that he was time to clear the table. It simply said, I'm done. But if the master got up from the table, folded the napkin, and laid it beside the plate, the servant wouldn't dare touch the table because it meant, I'm coming It's exactly what I thought when I read that. Every church father knew of only two days. Today and that day. Today we live it out and that day when Jesus returns. Everything in life points to that day. Everything we do, we do with that in mind. The ultimate goal of CNMA missions is to bring back the king. Matthew 24, this gospel of the kingdom, the one he just charged them with in Acts chapter 1, has to be preached to the entire world as a testimony for all nations. And when that's done, then the end will come. Romans 8 tells us that all of heaven and all of earth groan for that day. The song that we sang at the beginning, Even So Come, comes out of that context. Everything in life and everything in earth and everything in the kingdom is looking forward to that day. Everything that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit planned from before the foundation of the world is fulfilled in the cross, the resurrection of Christ, and the return of Jesus. All three of those events, obviously his birth, both his cross, the resurrection of Christ, and that coming day all go together. And just as sure as he came the first time, he will return the second. So in light of coming king, the classic answer is how then should we live? Short answer, I get it, when have you ever known a preacher to do a short answer? But the short answer is this, I have a friend, I have a friend that one day was talking to me and he said, to make a long story short, and I said, can I stop you for a minute? I've known you for 15 years and never in my life have you ever made a long story short. So, never mind. Short answer, no regrets. I love Peter for a host of different reasons. He was impetuous. He was confident. He said some stupid things. He kind of opened his mouth a little too fast and then had to figure out how to get out of that. And I've watched my life at times and I've 
found myself doing some of the same things. And I love how Peter, at the end of John, is reinstated into a relationship with Jesus. And Jesus reminds him of their relationship with one another and never say, how could you deny me? Why would you run away? Why would you do what you did? He just simply asked him the question, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And Peter said, Lord, you know I do. He answered the question all three times. And then Jesus said, I just need you to know I'm I'm coming back. And he begins to talk about what that's going to look like. And then he tells Peter about his own future. You just need to know things aren't always going to go well for you. And then Peter, like he always does, says, well, what about John? (laughs) Jesus said, what does it matter to you? What does it matter to you if I leave him here until I return? It's one of the last phrases that Peter heard Jesus say. What does it matter to you if I leave him here until I return? So if you were Peter and you didn't have the Bible in front of you, what would you assume? Jesus is going to come back pretty soon. John may still be alive. I mean, he kind of indicated that. didn't really say it, but he kind of indicated it. So it's going to happen pretty soon. And then it doesn't happen. And Peter's life begins to take a turn. And he finds a number of things that happened to him that the Lord had predicted. He writes two really powerful letters. And a number of years ago, we did a series on them. In the second of those two letters, first and second Peter, he said, look, I, I need to tell you something. I'm writing a second letter to you. I, I, I want both of them to be reminders of you to wholesome thinking, he says. And I want to recall some of the words that were talked about by the holy prophets and and then what I heard Jesus say and even some of the apostles. He says, you need to understand in the last days. Now, to him, those last days were then. He didn't know that you and I would be reading this 2,000 years later, but he said, you need to know in the last days, some people are going to come and say, okay, seriously? I've been to church most of my life. Pastors always talk about the second return of Jesus. They try to get us to straighten up our lives, knowing that Jesus could come back at any moment. In the 70s, we all did movies like Distant Thunder and Thief of the Night to try to scare everyone into the kingdom. And then Tim LaHaye did that whole series about the second return of Jesus, and everybody again began to wonder and wonder. But that had gone on for 18, 1900 years, well before any of those things ever came out. He said, I need you to know in the last days, whether the last days when he was writing it or now, People are going to come and say, okay, where's the coming that he promised? Ever since the beginning, ever since their ancestor died, things have gone on since the beginning of creation, but they deliberately forget that a long time ago, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water by water, and those waters, the world at the time, were deluged and destroyed. It was referring to, obviously, the flood, Noah's day. By the same word, the present heaven and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and the destruction of the ungodly. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like a day. The Lord's not slow in keeping his promise. Some understand slowness. Instead, he's being patient because he doesn't want anyone to miss it. He doesn't want anyone to perish. But absolutely everyone to come to repentance. What shoots a hole in the theology of those who think that salvation is only for a select few. Or for a certain group, or for a certain church, or a certain theological bent. His desire is that what? 
How many should perish? No one. And who should come to repentance? All. But the day will come. And the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed that way, what kind of people ought we to be? He asked the same question I asked. Let me answer it. Holy and godly. You really ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of the Lord. And eventually speed is coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire. And the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we... We who know Christ are looking forward to a day when a brand new heaven and a new earth where the righteous dwell. So then, dear friend, since you're looking forward to this, and he makes a huge assumption, right, that you really are looking forward to that. That's the very next thing in your relationship with Jesus that you're looking forward to, seeing Jesus face to face. Since you're looking forward to this, make every single effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. Just as our brother Paul wrote to you about. But don't keep waiting. Because it's going to happen. When God called me into ministry over 40 years ago, I made a promise that I wouldn't find myself on a rocking chair someday in a nursing home, gumming my food to death, saying to myself, I wish I would have. Or I should have. And so what I felt God asking me to do throughout the years I've done. D.L. Moody was asked a question one time. If you would know that Christ was coming this very day, what would you do? He said exactly what I planned to do. Which is a great commentary on a life lived for God. So in light of the second coming of Christ, in light of the fact that it is just as evident and just as obvious as the first coming of Christ... How should we then live? And are we ready for that day? I'm sure you've heard of the movie Schindler's List. It had a lot of negative characteristics, but he had a huge passion and love for the Jews that were condemned in Krakow, Poland. The one Hitler sought to kill, he sought to save. Wanted to do everything. He knew he couldn't, only, couldn't save them all, but he Tried to do what he could to save a few, and so he saved 1,100 of them who found their way onto his list, Schindler's list. With the defeat of the Nazis came a reversal of roles. Now Schindler would be hunted, the prisoners would be free. He tried to sneak away in the slip of night and walk to his car, only to find that the factory workers had lined the pathway to his car, one on one side, some on the other. They wanted to thank the man who saved them. They presented him a list that every single person had signed. And in the midst of that night, he found himself surrounded by the liberated. Row after row after row, he saw their faces. Husbands with wives, parents with children. They know what he did for them and they'll never forget. Someone has written this. What if, just let me speculate for a moment. What if when we get to heaven, we'll have a similar experience, not the same. But an experience where, while we stand there for a moment, maybe waiting in line, maybe just wanting to be a part of the celebration, someone walks up and tugs at you and says, hey, remember me? We lived next to each other. And I watched your life and I thought, that guy's for real. That lady's for real. They really do have something different in their lives. And 
I watched you enough to realize what you did and who you were, and I accepted Jesus as my Savior. I just want to thank you for being here. Could be a number of other incidents like that where somebody said something to you or someone else was impacted by your life. You and I believe in Alliance Missions enough to know that what we give will maybe never see the results of, but there, I believe, is going to come a day when we're able to look around the throne of God and see people from every tribe and language and nation and realize that we had a small part in what we gave to missions, and now they're there. And whether they sing the song, thank you, that we've heard for the last 20 years or not, doesn't really matter. But they will be there. And I found myself saying, will that happen? I don't know, but the verse that I talked about last Sunday morning said no one has ever imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. And I want to find myself knowing that I lived a life with no regrets. That I enjoyed it to the fullest, that I lived for him, that I loved him, that I served him, that I enjoyed the life he gave me and the people around me be great to live a life with no regrets most important of all to see jesus the king of kings and the lord of lords who will be there to greet us the waiting will be over and we finally get to look into his loving eyes and feel the scars like thomas did in his hands and follow his feet and know that we'll join with the crowds down through the ages who will bow and know that every tongue will confess that jesus christ will be lord it will be worth it all so let me ask you the question I asked at the beginning. How does it make you feel? How does it make you feel? Excited? Enthused? Looking forward? Nervous? Or can you sing with us in this closing two minutes? Even so, come, Lord Jesus. God, we wait. 